0: All right, welcome into a special year-end edition of the Horse Racing Happy Hour. This is Louis Rabot, joined today by the track announcer, Golden Gate Fields. His name is Matt Dinnerman. He is uh, joining us, I assume, from somewhere in California, uh, hunkered down deep within the bellows of the uh, COVID-19 outbreak, but hopefully not affecting his uh, enjoyment of horse racing recently. And we're going to have Matt on today as part of our series of year-in-review sort of conversations. And I wanted to have Matt on because I am not sure – that anywhere in the country had a more bizarre horse racing year than Golden Gate Fields. And so Matt, on that very strange note, welcome into the horse happy hour. How are you? I'm good, Louie. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. So um, I'm, uh, w- we always pop a beverage when we have people on. I will warn you. So I have a very specifically strange beer next to me from Goose Island. They're from Chicago. You've probably heard of them. And um, yeah. in 2013, they put out a series called Lolita. And these are Belgian style ales that are um, unfiltered and fermented. And so this is a seven-year-old beer. It's about to be eight years old. And um, it is made with, um, this one happens to be with uh, raspberries, and then they age it in wine barrels. And so that is my, I had to actually pop a cork to do this, kind of a New Year's theme here. And um, is Matt Dinnerman, are you, are you an adult beverage guy?
1: I'm, you know, I'm, I don't drink that much, but sure. I, every once in a while, I'll dabble with it, especially, you know, I like to have mixed drinks when I go to the bowling alley. Sometimes we'll go oh. to the bowling alley. Obviously the bowling alley isn't open right now, but when we go bowling, that's my place.
0: Okay. So I'm from the bowling capital of the world, Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And um, yeah, yeah. So like my mom, my grandpa, like everyone, my uncle, I had an uncle who he's probably got 3,300 games, you know, he's one of these guys. And so, um, Oh, that's great. I didn't know you were a bowler. How'd you get, is that your whole life, your family, a bowling family?
1: Well, we usually just go for fun. I mean, me and my buddies up uh, in San Francisco, I'm in San Diego right now with my family. Okay. I'm from San Diego. So yeah. Um, when the bowling alleys are open, usually on Tuesdays, they've got a special and, I'm not great at it, but I've won a few games here and there. Got some few strikes. Have a few drinks. Why not?
0: No, totally. When I was in college, we would go on Fridays in the summer. So we'd have class Monday through Thursday, and then on Fridays we would go, and it was eight bucks, and you could bowl for three hours. And I just remember, oh, wow. yeah, oh yeah, you take one other buddy, and there's nobody there, and you're just, you're just and I imagine in San Francisco games are eight dollars now, right? Something like that.
1: Oh yeah, I mean. <laughs> Games are $8, and that's that's generous, let me tell you.
0: <laughs> on a Tuesday, there you go. So you did mention you grew up in San Diego, um, and you and I have something not in common at all, which is you grew up around horse racing. I came to horse racing only after my wife and I moved here to Louisville about 12 years ago. And um, So you grew up around Del Mar, and uh, this seems yeah. to be a common theme of of the very best track announcers in the U.S. So we had Travis Stone on, of course, our local guy here at Churchill Downs, um, who grew up around Saratoga. You, though, have a really interesting story, as far as I can tell, that you got to grow up around John Sadler when John Sadler was absolutely dominating down in Southern California. Can you talk a little bit about your your time with John Sadler growing up?
1: So I worked for John Sadler for four summers, and I just kept going back because I just loved everything about it. I loved waking up early in the morning. Mm. I loved the people I worked with. I love the atmosphere, but most of all, I love the horses. And working for John was a really just wonderful experience, something that you you can't learn in a book. I mean, you actually have to be there to learn the things that I did in his barn, just learned how the day-to-day operations went. And um, like you said, that was a time when John was just booming and firing at all cylinders. I mean, you go down the shed row, it's like grade one winner after grade one winner after grade one winner after grade two winner grade one winner. I mean, you just down the (laughs) line. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, um, you know, one thing that I was really impressed with about John's operation was how specific he was to detail. And I think all Mm -hmm. the great trainers are like that. I think Mm -hmm. every single one of them, they have to be very, very specific on what they want. They have to be confident in what they're doing and they have to know what they're doing. And with John, it was like, there was a, it was, it was like a fine-tuned machine. It was like every set of horses, we had our ways of doing things. He wanted it a certain way, check every horse. He checked every mm-hmm. single horse before they went to the track. Um He knew everything about that horse. Um You know, the the exercise rider would hop on a horse and he'd know everything about the horse. Um So it was just a, it was a great experience. I mean, the, the the help it was one big family john tree did the help very good and uh, he still does and th- there'd be a lot of barbecues back there and things like that and it was just a good time and um i learned a lot back there and um it's the backbone of our industry the backstretch and the barns and all that goes on back there and um it uh, you find a lot of admiration i have a lot of admiration for the people that work back there because of how hard the job is and how much dedication you have to have to work with those horses. But every single one of those folks back there that I worked with, they loved what they did. They love what they do and they love the horses and the horses are like their kids. So
0: we'll get back to the backside as we talk about the stranger that has been at golden gate and what's going on with the folks that work there. But uh, before we do that, I did want to talk through your very quick, frankly, rise through the, um, through the announcing rankings because frankly how old were you when you got the job at Emerald Downs
1: 23? I uh, yeah 20 22, I think 22 wow. or 23 yeah, so, so yeah how very do you go, young
0: how do you go from and I know a little bit where you know you're working with John and then you do a little bit of publicity at Del Mar you finish up college in Orange County what what draws you to Seattle to go call races at a place like Emerald Downs?
1: Well, it's quite the story, actually. It's going to take a couple minutes, but I Great. think you're going to enjoy this. So while I was working in the press box at Del Mar, which is the job I got after working for John Sadler, I found this interest in calling races. And I always wanted to be a television analyst or somebody who was describing races. And race calling seemed like a really cool job. I asked my dad a lot of questions about mm. the race caller, especially when I was really young when I was first getting involved in racing. So I think it was always in my head, but it just took a little while to actually pop up as this is something I might want to do as a profession. So while I was in that press box, there'd be booths for the riders, and I'd go into an empty booth and I'd call a race with my binoculars (laughs) and my, my, my uh, my binoculars, I'd have my phone and and record it and listen back and all that stuff. So um, at One point, right before I was ending college, I went to Chapman University, probably about a month and a half before I was to graduate. There was a press release saying Emerald Downs needs a new announcer. And Robert Geller, who's a very good friend of mine, he was there and he'd gotten the job at Woodbine up in Canada. Um, The press release did say we like someone with experience. If you have tapes, please send it to this person, Sophia McKee, who was the marketing director at the time, a big supporter of mine. And I'm equally a big supporter of hers, um, please send your tape to Sophia. And I thought to myself, well, I don't have any experience in terms of just live race calling. I hadn't called a race on an actual microphone at a legit track where people could hear ever but I figured, you know what, the best that can happen here is I send in my tape, they listen to it, they like it, and maybe they send it to another track that's willing to give me a shot, because Emerald's sure. a good a good track. So I send in the tape, and Sophia messaged me back very quickly after over email and says, I think you have talent, I like what I hear here, mm. Here, um, give me a couple days and and we'll get back to you. So... A few days later, I'm driving home from San Anita, and what was I doing there? I was uh, driving from Chapman to call races, <laughs> practice calling races, <laughs> and I get a call from a Washington phone number, and I, I saw the number, and I said to myself, "Well, <laughs> this is probably the uh, the thanks so much for applying, but we're going <laughs> in a different direction." For the phone number, of course, right? I get I get the call, and she says we're going to fly you up here tomorrow and we want you to call two races. Can you do that? And um, my blood pressure went through the roof. Of course I wanted to do it, but I couldn't believe it. I never called a race over a microphone in my life. I was scared to death. So I, I got my things, drove down to San Diego to be with my mom and dad and talk to them a little bit because I was so anxious. And then the next morning, I didn't sleep very well, flew up to Emerald, called, called the races and the next day they hired me on mother's day. And, uh, I said, well, first I got to pass all my classes because I I got the job (laughs) offer a week before I graduated college. So I luckily passed all my classes. I told my teachers, please pass me because (laughs) I got a dream job (laughs) coming up here. And, uh, within a few days after graduating, I went up to Emerald and within a a week or so, a week or two after graduation, after I walked, um, Robert went to Woodbine, and there I was. <laughs> the announcer.
0: Incredible. Love it. And you've been at Golden Gate since 2016. So, again, another job when you're quite young. How was the transition from Emerald to Golden Gate? Do you find it to be um, – I, 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 my senses there are more race dates at Golden Gate. But other than that, is – is there a, a big difference to you as far as, um, you know, being part of I, when I think of it, at least, I think a lot of people's exposure to you, for example, if they live in Louisville would be as part of like the stronic five. Right. Which by the right. way, I'm sure you've thought about this, but it's remarkable that they go from like Dave Rodman to you, right? <laughs> like that's pretty cool. Right. Cause Dave's, Dave's a legend. He's terrific. And you know, I, I mean like the, his previous call this year is one of my favorite calls of any race of all time. It was unbelievable. But, um, You know, is that kind of where you understand it is like you move there and there's just more exposure, people hear more of your calls, or do you look at it as, hey, I'm going to get there early, I'm going to be on the backside, I'm going to talk to trainers, I'm going to talk to jocks, see, you know, who's doing what, and kind of cap the races before I call them?
1: Well, it's both. Okay. I definitely more exposure. I think the fact that Emerald Downs is on TVG certainly helps the exposure as it was. I think – um a lot of people watching tvg had heard me as it was from emerald um but at the same time i think there's more eyes in terms of wagering and and there's even more races of golden gate on tvg and other outlets around the world really not just in the country i mean i know that golden gate were were shown you know in south africa a lot of betting pubs in ireland great britain australia um So I I definitely think that there's more exposure, but at the same time, I'm a, I'm a very hands-on type of person and I enjoy the relationships with the trainers and the jockeys and getting to know them more because I enjoy not only describing a race, but I enjoy one of the best parts of my job is to be able to describe other people's successes. And it's a lot more fun and it's satisfying and, when you get to know those people, it makes it even more fun. So um, one of the things that I really enjoy doing is going to the backstretch, seeing the horses, interacting with the trainers and the riders and the owners and um, the people that work with the horses, the grooms, the hot walkers, and, and get to know these people. Um, and I did that a lot at Emerald and I, I do that at Golden Gate when I can as well. Awesome. So
0: the, the main reason I wanted to have you on um, was to talk just twenty twenty. And when I first imagined doing this set of interviews, and I'm gonna talk with you and uh, we're gonna talk with the jockey next week. And then uh, we've got a couple of other journalists that we're gonna talk with. Um, I thought I was going to do a set of like Eclipse Award kind of things. And it occurred to me, that's interesting for sure, but your year at Golden Gate, I think is as unusual as anyone has had, not just because of COVID of course, but because of the wildfires. And so kind of walk us through the year and, and, you know, say whatever you want to say, because I, I really am interested in, in the day to day of it, you know, you're there COVID lands in the U S we kind of, you know, in California, especially really shuts down and, you know, you're trying to to navigate all these things. Golden gate finally opens back up. The wildfires happen. Um, and then of course, you have the massive COVID outbreak, uh, unfortunately, at the track. And um, it did make for a really interesting uh, LA County meet at Los Al. But, um, you know, major shift there. Just kind of talk us through 2020. I don't know if you've had time to really reflect on it, but, you know, just some of the things that really stand out to you.
1: Well, I think in the long run, I think once it's in the rearview mirror, so to speak, it's going to be a little easier to reflect on. But, yes, we've had – two cancellations one was in march in the middle of march i believe um see see that's the thing is like i'm thinking about it and i'm like is it march april there's been all these stoppages and going on you like i was telling a friend the other day it's like i've been off a long time it's like time is irrelevant it's like the sun's out or the sun's not out (laughs) at this point that's my days but um yeah yeah, and about mid-march i think you know obviously Um, A lot of tracks around the country stopped racing and our health department uh, told us, you know, they'd like us to stop for a little while. The same with Santa Anita and a lot of other places all over the country. And we were gone for about five weeks and uh, horses continue to train and we've been working with the health department and the health department understood, you know, the care of the animals is obviously very important. It's obviously absolutely needed and the horses still need to be exercised they still need to get out of their stalls and all that stuff so um, operations on the backstretch continued in the mornings but obviously we weren't running Um, and then we were able to come back um, in May Um, and it was good because we still got a chance to run the last part of the meet and we finished strong and actually our handle and and the field sizes and everything were, were fine and everything was going really well um, in the summertime, obviously, we take some time off with, with the fairs and yep. everybody sort of, it was for us at the time, I think a lot of us were like, okay, that was a rough patch, but we're just gonna, yeah. you know, look forward, wipe the slate clean come once we come back in August and hopefully, you know, we can just power through the rest of the year with no problems. Now we didn't know what was to come in the second half of the year. Sure. We had those wildfires and that was a week off or two. And, um, luckily it didn't get close to golden gate. Um, okay, there were a couple of people that worked at golden gate that these wildfires greatly affected, which was terrible. I mean, it was probably, the wildfires were probably about an hour from golden gate. Um, so it's i guess it depends what your definition of close is it wasn't that close and in my you did
0: have you did have like air quality issues and things right like where it wasn't safe for a horse to be you know running full bore in a race or something
1: then right correct and that was hand in hand with the wildfires i mean we didn't we didn't stop running because there were wildfires we canceled because the the air quality was very poor Um, or at least poor enough to where we didn't feel that it was safe to be operating at that time both for horses and humans and at the end of the day that's the number one thing is whenever we're in a uh, an uncalled for situation and health is involved we want to make sure that it is a hundred percent healthy for the horses and the people that are both a working at the track and b when we have fans the patrons Um, so we're not going to hesitate if we need to cancel for a day or two or a week we will if we don't find it to be suitable conditions to race. Um, even even we canceled a couple of days of training, and we only had light jogging and galloping and things like that because we we just didn't feel it was safe for the horses to be exerting themselves in that air quality. And that was only for a few days, but um, you get you get the point there. And uh, that was our only little hiccup in the summertime, and we made it through that meet otherwise pretty good. Um, and then we were doing pretty well in the fall. And uh, of course we have the COVID outbreak currently and um, you know, it's hard for a lot of people, but we're trying to get through it the best we can. And our horsemen, they're all troopers, the owners. I mean, they're, they're working every day and um, it's unfortunate, but that's uh, sort of what's going on at this point.
0: I have two things that I want to dive into here. One is horse related and one is Mad Dinnerman related. So okay. Um, the first one with the horses, we can do that one first. It seems like for the first time in a while, and we had, so we had a Jose Contreras on a couple weeks ago uh, from Los Al, and we were just preview, previewing that meet. And, and I mentioned that, and, and I'm a degenerate, so I'm up watching the night races every weekend. And the, the Golden Gate runners at Los Al are doing really well under the lights. And then it translated, and um, I wrote about this in John Sherva's uh, newsletter in the LA Times a couple weeks ago that the Golden Gate Invaders were doing really, really well in the Los Al meet, especially at, you know, say a purse size of 23K and less and that kind of thing. You know, guys like Jonathan Wong and, um, you know, were coming down with uh, with really good horses. It seems like outside of that, Matt, that there was more collaboration between trainers in different places to get some of those Northern California horses who were ready to go, right? Who were, you know, the trainers had them just absolutely ready to go. And then, of course, COVID hits and, it's just the brakes are completely on. It seems like there was more. Hey, yeah, get your horses down here. We'll figure it out. And the horses ran really well. Is it, it am I am I over glamorizing that or it, or was there a lot of collaboration between a lot of folks?
1: I think there was a lot of collaboration. I mean, obviously when you've got that type of situation, how it works is um first of all, Los Alamitos basically said Jockeys, trainers, even the grooms of the horses in Northern California. Nobody from Northern California is allowed on site at Los Alamitos. Right. So with that in mind, usually it's it's you want to ship a horse down there, you send your groom, um, and that's sort of how it works. You usually you have usually these trainers have a barn that they send them to. For example, right. Jonathan Wong, he was sending his horses to in Southern California, Kristen Mohall. And at Los Alamitos, Jorge Rosales. Um, so all, all these guys have their connections. You know, Blaine Wright, he usually sends his horses to Mark Glatt. They're both Washington guys. So that's sort of how it is. But the collaboration that makes it difficult is these trainers themselves only have so many stalls. Right. Um, obviously, you have to apply for stalls at every meet. And let's just say you're a trainer that has 20 stalls. If all 20 stalls are filled, and you're a trainer up north, and you call down there and say, Hey, I want to send these three horses for three races at Los Alamitos. Um, there could be a problem because that trainer in Southern California may say, Hey, listen, I don't have a stall for these horses right now. I don't have three stalls sure. for horses. So I'm sure there was a lot of collaboration. Some of it I'm not necessarily aware of the um, intricacies of all that, uh, but certainly. Certainly Southern California trainers really had to step up as well because not only did they have to look after these Northern California horses, a few of them, take on a few extra horses, but they also had to um have their help look after an extra right. horse or two. So it really was a team effort to make the show go down at Los Alamitos and we're very lucky that uh, you know, Los Alamitos was uh able to write these types of races that fit our horses at Golden Gate. And I think Los Alamitos would say they're equally lucky that, um, our guys were willing to go down there and help make their product better.
0: I totally agree. The field size is just the product in general. I agree with you. It was, it was a shockingly enjoyable meet. I, I, I really loved watching it. Um, so the, the second part of all this, Matt, and I, and I think this comes through on social media and I'm sure that it's, it's authentic. You, you're a positive dude and mm-hmm. And you get, it's okay. No, it's all right. And this year could have absolutely beaten that out of you. And it didn't. Where does, where does your positivity come from?
1: Well, I'm a glass half full type of guy. I, to be honest with you, I think the, my positivity comes from my mother. Because she's so oh, that's, sure, yeah. genetic. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. yeah.
0: yeah I, no, I, I think that's absolutely real, right? That, you yeah. know, it's, it's the people that you're around and whoever, you know, cheerfulness is its own thing right? And, and people are attracted to cheerfulness, right? And so uh, I think that, you know, when you have, for example, even just in race calls, if you know, if you know, the announcer is actually interested in the race, and has capped it, and, you know, knows the ins and outs, and who's, you know, it, I, I loved talking with Travis this year, because he said, no, no, to be a good race caller, you have to cap the races, because if there's an upset, you need to know that it's an upset, and you need to know why it's an upset, right? right? And, um, and well, I know no, you're, yeah. you're right. There you and I know you agree with that, because I've, I've, I've heard you, you know, talk a little bit about that. And I've seen you, you know, you put out pick fours and pick fives all the time. And, um, and so, you know, I know that you're, you're into that side of it as well. But I just, I was, I'm always interested where people get their, where they get their personality traits. And so, um, it's, it's cool when you can say something like, no, oh, because of my mom. You know, that's awesome. I like that. So, um, all right. Yeah. So,
1: you, yeah. I ahead. mean, I just want to add that, it, you know, there's a lot of negativity, especially this year. And, um, I just, I, I, I'm a type of person that, you know, I've seen over the years in my life and that includes things like anxiety, which everybody has Mm -hmm. that a lot of times when, when anxiety comes about, you think about doomsday scenario and the worst possible scenario, but rarely does it happen. Um, And when I was younger, if I would get anxious, my dad would always tell me, you know, if this worst case scenario happens, we'll we'll deal with it when it comes um and he would say that because basically it would never come um and (laughs) i i just would get used to to knowing you know what you just got to take it one day at a time i just try to stay positive because I, i think that um people are generally good and um you know i i actually posted something on my facebook yesterday which was um the good people are the people who try to be a rainbow and someone else's cloud. And that's sort of how mm. I go about doing my business, you know, trying to be positive and, and that'll, that can get through somebody's day because you don't really know what people are going through, especially now. I mean, where there's Perfect. a lot of hostility and negativity for numerous reasons in society. Um, it's just it's it, we've got plenty of it. We don't need it. So I just try to stay positive. I'm just a glass half full type of guy, and I'm gonna try to be that way. And I think it's a lot more fulfilling life that way.
0: All right. So you're in Northern California for work. You're obviously visiting with your parents now. When you visit San Diego, do you go? Man, I wish I could really be back here. Or have you found yourself like Seattle, San Francisco? That weather, you know that, that you know that lifestyle. Like, do you do? You, I mean, like, you know, I asked Travis because, you know, the Naira job came open this year. And I got to imagine they called him. Now, he wouldn't talk directly about it, and I'll blame him. And he's got a really nice job here, of course. But, um, but you know, I mean, a guy like you, is, is Del Mar like a dream? I mean, that's where you just – I mean, at the beginning of this interview, you told me, hey, man, I was doing – phony, you know, for horse calls, I do practice horse calls as a kid at Del Mar. And that's where I fell in love with the sport. Is that a dream job? Do you think about that? Or is it like you just talked about why you're a positive person? Hey, man, this is day by day. And look, if, if I can send some practice race calls to Emerald Downs and get a job, then you know, if Del Mar happens, Del Mar happens.
1: I think I'm sort of in the latter. And the reason okay. I'm in that, that answer, which is day by day, is because I'm a type of person that always says you know what if you want to be really happy and thriving it's something you have to be in the moment and present in the moment um first of all Delmar is you know once Trevor decides to leave it sounds like he'll be back in the summertime once he decides to leave whether it be next year three years five years ten years he can do that as long as he wants it's his job Um, as soon as that comes about there will be a lot of people applying for it and it's a very good job um but at the same time I also look and say you know what that would be a lovely job to have if it works and some if if there's a major track wherever it is if you know an announcer is given that opportunity and it works for them it's a fantastic opportunity obviously but um you still have to be happy with what you're doing and at the end of the day what I'm doing right now being at Golden Gate you know I have year-round employment with Golden Gate Mastronic yep. Group and yep. I call nine months of the year. Lovely area, lovely racetrack. I like the people yep. I work with. I love the people I work with. I like the community. Um and I'm a California guy. And sure. it's a fantastic gig and it's a fantastic track that's slowly going in the right direction you know obviously have a little setback currently but we're going to get back on track and in the long run we're going to be just fine because we have the people and the resources to be successful um so i only look and i say you know what i'm in a great spot because i love golden gate and it's a fantastic track and i think there are a lot of announcers that would say if they were calling races at golden gate for the rest of their lives that would be a very successful life oh um, yeah racetrack announcer so I'm just really, really lucky and blessed to be at the place I'm at. And if something down the road comes up and it's a wonderful opportunity, then like I said, when it comes, we'll deal with that and make a decision if we need to change, make a change. But um, I in no way, shape or form am planning on going anywhere. <laughs> Got it. Trust me. I love Golden Gate um, and it's just a lovely place to be.
0: So a couple rapid fire ones then,
1: and we'll let you get out of here.
0: Um, is there a race in the world, and I don't, I don't care where, that you you just at some point in your life would love to be on the broadcast for?
1: Probably the Kentucky Derby. I mean, okay. that that would be just unbelievable. And speaking of uh, the Kentucky Derby, you had Travis on. I'm sure you guys talked about that a little bit. And, and yeah. Travis has done a phenomenal job. And Larry Colmus – right um, he does obviously a very very good job as well and uh you know, that that's a race that i think any race caller would want to call it's like calling the world series if you're a baseball announcer sure. yeah
0: i um uh, the thing that stood out about travis and it's one of my favorite things to do every year is they do a, a video of him calling the race i'm sure you've seen this oh yeah and and just and i'm sure you can relate to this which is when the race is over he's, you can just see like he loses 50 pounds of pressure, right? Because it's just so <laughs> many, it's so many silks and it's so many horses and it's just, you know, you, you've got to describe the field front to back probably twice. Good luck with that. And then, you know, I mean, just the buildup of that race, you know, we talk about, Christ, we start talking derby preps in what, October and, you know, I mean all that. So, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a remarkable sort of thing to talk about, but yeah, I, um, you mentioned something in passing, that
1: you think Golden Gate's going in the right direction.
0: I agree with you. Can you talk about it from your perspective?
1: Absolutely. So when I was first hired to be the full-time announcer at Golden Gate, that had been when Frank Miramati was there, and he was leaving to do the job at Aqueduct at Naira for the wintertime. Um, So obviously the spot was open. I at the time when Emerald wasn't running because Emerald's seasonal – I was doing the paddock analysis. I was just on the feed, giving out picks and tickets and that sort of thing. Sure. So right when I was about hired, our general manager now, David Duggan, he was hired to be the general manager just very, I would say a couple months earlier. Um, So these changes were coming about with personnel, with with David coming in there. And then obviously a couple months later, he hired me to be there year round um, we, we saw really a transition, um, soon after us being in there with the whole company, the Stronic group into first bet and first racing. Um, and it's obviously relatively new. Um, but I just look and I say, you know what, David, for example, he's got a very positive outlook. He's a person that really, um, promotes critical thinking and what can we do to spice things up? He's He's very much open to change and that's what the racing industry needs. And we've seen our handle increase. We've seen field size increase. We've seen more interest, not just in California, but around the country. We've seen some out of tra- out of town trainers come and try golden gate fields. And there's still interest from what I'm hearing at that point, that there are certain people out there that would like to come and, and try to race their horses at golden gate. Um, we we've seen the creation of gold rush weekend. Um, our, our jockeys, we've seen them go on to do good things. Abel Cedillo Juan Hernandez, Ricky Gonzalez going down South Aaron Peterson going to Monmouth and she had a great meet there. And I think just the difference between when I first got there to now is not only is the product better, but you're seeing just the overall community. If you're there, there's a lot more pep in our steps, so to speak. The trainers are more excited. The jockeys are more excited. Um, And there were just certain things in the old management. For whatever reason, there were certain issues that weren't um, necessarily, they didn't get to those issues. And David came in and did get to those issues. And we're seeing a lot of improvements on many different levels. And I just know there are a lot of plans that once we get past this pandemic, we'd like to try some new things as well. It'll be a lot easier too. And Um, I think we're going in the right direction in terms of just looking at the overall product and the overall atmosphere. And that's, uh, let's just say this, when you've got people like trainers and owners and jockeys that are really excited to be there and more excited, it makes the whole product better. And so I would say not just, just in terms of numbers and, and money and all this stuff, it's not just that it's also the atmosphere. And I see this, all of this just, um, coming up and, and bubbling up into the surface of positivity and I think we're going in, a, in the right direction uh, and once we get back we're going to be right back where we left off
0: I, I, so this is really an interesting way to talk about it I agree totally about especially like with Abel and with, um, with Juan moving down south and, and really showing out and I think that's what has happened to Golden Gate since I started following horse racing was that you know five six years ago to use the baseball analogy we talked about you know calling the World Series, Golden Gate had had found itself to be a double a track essentially, and it has moved well into the triple A range at this point right where guys go to go there and then boom they're they're winning rider titles you know in in Los Angeles or they you know whatever it might be and so it is I, and, and guys like Jonathan Wong, who are based up there are going south and winning in winning training titles right and I totally agree with you i think it's it has moved into right between you know if they if it were if this were the english premier league for example you know in that in that second division getting ready for one of the tracks to get relegated so that they can move up to the premier league that kind of thing and so um no it's awesome all right so last thing i want to do um because we are a ridiculous show i want to ask you something ridiculous
1: about oh, all right. about,
0: about about berkeley so okay All right. So culturally Berkeley is its own thing. I've been out there. I've got a cousin who lives in San Francisco um, and uh, he's, he's been there for, he went to Santa Clara, the whole thing. There is a store called the Aftal archive of curious sense just down the street from Golden Gate fields. Have you been to the Aftal archive of curious sense?
1: No, I've never heard of it, but I just hearing that name, I want to go now. (laughs) What does it entail? All
0: right. So essentially it is a giant collection of perfumes, botanicals, and um, and different things that just have their own smells, Ooh. and they even have a perfume organ where when you play a note, that perfume comes out. What? So uh, yeah, That's no, no. So
1: I, I,
0: so when I make my trip to Golden Gate this year, after all this crap is over, you and I are going to go to the Aftel Archive of Curious Sense, and then we're going to go bowling. All right.
1: Okay. Uh, you'll probably beat me at bowling, but that's okay. <laughs> you, you'll probably, you'll probably beat me at how many drinks you have too, but that's okay. That's, well,
0: that's okay. That, hey, that, that's just the Kentucky thing. You know, uh, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you an idea. So our local liquor store up at the corner had to put on their sign in the front closed on Christmas because that's not just a given here. Like many liquor stores are open on Christmas, many it, sure. more than more than half. I mean, it's a thing. So, uh, so yeah, that's, it's just the, uh, the culture here. So, all right, <laughs> man uh is there anything else that we need to talk about
1: well let's just give a shout out to all the fans and all the horsemen out there positive stay positive you know this has been a rough year for everybody we're gonna get through this there is light at the end of the tunnel and no matter where you're at in the tunnel you will get to the end of it just keep your head up because it's not easy Uh, but if you stay positive it's gonna help you get through that tunnel. There'll be a lot less obstacles if you can mentally stay positive. So just keep going at it, my friends. All
0: right. And uh, Matt, because you came on for the year-end shows, uh, no one knows this yet, but we are going to send you. So one of our advertising partners is Cody Photography and yeah. uh, and the, the Cody family. They do like 35 or 40 thoroughbred tracks in North America. Uh, we are going to send you the official authentic uh, 2021 calendar.
1: Oh, thank you. I'd love to hang it up at the announcer's booth at Golden Gate. That's where I'm going to put it.
0: That's perfect. I love to hear that. So we'll send it out to Golden Gate. Make sure that you get it there and uh, that you can put it up and um, all the different shots. And and, uh, a shout out to my co-host, Mike Andolfo. Of course, you know, our other uh, co-host, Megan Devine. But Mike is a local guy here, grew up here. Uh, And Megan and I, of course, are transplants. She's from New York. I'm from Michigan. And uh, Mike took the cover photo at the Breeders' Cup of authentic getting to the lead on the first turn at Keeneland and it's this beautiful autumn scape of the Keeneland grandstand with the leaves changing in the background and the whole thing. And if I didn't mention that, Mike would kill me because he is more proud of that photo than probably his two kids. So um, (laughs) it is what it is. Hey, Matt, really appreciate you coming on happy new year, happy holidays, and uh, hopefully we can catch up really soon.
1: Thanks for having me on. Have a great new year, my friend. All right. Thanks, Matt.